Turn to, you guys are going to get excited about what book I'm going to, Numbers. I, oh yeah, I know, hold it, hold, yeah, it's a good book. Probably not many people have visited it. Those ones in the Pentateuch, well the first two are fun because there's a lot of neat things that happen, God's doing some awesome stuff, and then the law is given and we're kind of like, okay, <laughs> some of this gets pretty redundant, but there's some awesome stories in Numbers. And uh, as I was going through and, and asking the Lord what he wanted to, to be taught this morning, uh, it was all over the place. And I really wanted to do a character study. You guys know I love focusing on people in the Bible and looking at what their lives were like, what it was to walk with God at that time, and to go through it. So turn over to Numbers 22. And I know you guys know this story, but maybe you don't know the whole thing. And not that I'm going to make up more to it. <laughs> it's just that usually there's one part of this story that's focused on. And you guys may know the guy's name, Balaam, the prophet also known as an evil prophet sometimes. But Balaam the prophet, the guy that had that donkey, remember that? That's the main part we know about it. So we'll go through a little bit about that, but I really want you guys to see uh, what his life was like. Because there was even stuff that I didn't really understand because I'd been so focused on just that one story of him and the donkey. And uh, I won't tell you everything about the donkey. I don't want to ruin it for you because it's pretty exciting. Um, But if you guys want to label this, selfishly driven is what the message is going to be about today. Selfishly driven. And we get to see that through the life of Balaam. But before we get into it, um, let's just go ahead and let's lift it up to the Lord and ask that you would just teach us this morning. So, Lord, we love you and we just thank you so much for the moisture that you gave us. It's beautiful outside, Lord. That sunrise that you gave, is, is, it's exciting because I know that you make it for us um, and just that beauty that's out there. And I love every time that it snows because of what, all the stuff that it covers up, especially my ugly yard, Lord. And it just reminds me so much of my life that it's just pure. It's beautiful, Lord. And we just thank you so much for just covering us and uh, what you've done in our lives, Lord. And we praise you for that. Lord, as we go through your word and we talk about what you did to, to Balaam and, and to Balak and all the different things that happen in this story, Lord, I pray that you would just teach us as we walk down the road that we've either chosen ourselves or we're going down the road that you've asked us to go down. Uh, we'd really look at our lives, Lord, and see where we're at with you. And uh, they would just bring us to a place of repentance with you, Lord, uh, of an assurance with you, and that we get to see that we're with you, and what an exciting thing it is to be with you, Lord. And so I pray you just speak to us through this story, and uh, that your name would just be blessed this morning, Lord. We love you. Amen. All right. We're, there is going to be a lot of reading this morning. Give you a heads up. Hopefully that'll be all right. I'll have to yell every once in a while just to keep you guys awake, I guess. Do a little Southern Baptist teaching, <laughs> right? <laughs> So you guys can nail amen or whatever. Just remember, Sean's still here. Chapter 22. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of Jordan across from Jericho. But Balak, the the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were afraid, and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pathor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of the people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he, who, uh, know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed 
with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. Okay, just to set this up, what's going on? This is after the 40 years, okay? This is after the wandering's done. Now they're going to enter into the promised land. If you guys are looking at a map, you know that the Dead Sea's down here. You have Galilee, and you have the Jordan running down through it. I guess I'll turn this way, okay? So they're on the right side. Mediterranean Sea's on the left side. They're on the right side, about ready to get into and cross the Jordan. Before they went in there, they didn't want to cause any problems, but there's some guys that didn't want to let them cross their land and stuff, so they had to take their land from them. That's just what ended up happening. They're bullying them, so they, the Lord delivered them. Well, that's what happens right before they get to Moab in, verse, in chapter 21. And it's a pretty bad defeat. I mean, they just wiped everybody out. And that last verse in 35 of chapter 21 says, So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people until there was no survivor left, and they took possession of his land. Okay, that's kind of scary if they're moving in next to you, Right? It's a lot of people, and they're going to go and set up right next to your place. You're going to think, why wouldn't they come in into my property and try to take my stuff from me and try to take all of our, our things from us? So you look at him, and he knows about this threat that's, that's setting up next to him. He knows this nation because we know in other parts of the Scriptures that all the kings at that time knew this people group. They knew what had happened in Egypt. Everybody knew what was going on. So this is a scary group of people next to your group of people. And so he knew his neighbor might someday decide to go and go for him. Now in verse 3, it says there, And Moab was exceedingly afraid in the people of the people because there are many. And Moab was sick with dread. That's today's translation would be uh, scared to death. Okay, That's the old school way of saying it. So they were scared to death of what was going to happen uh, because of Israel. And so... We see through what he's going through, but, however, he shouldn't be afraid of this people group. Do you guys remember who the Moabites were? Who were they related to? You guys know these are probably kin, right, to the Israelites, because of Abraham and Lot. So the Moabites come from Lot. And what ends up happening is that you look at this, and there's a family thing there. So the Moabites, they shouldn't be afraid because they're offsprings of Lot, they're family. And if you look over in Deuteronomy chapter 2, just go to the right a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. And then you can go on later and you can read in 17 through 19, says the same thing. What it's saying there is that Israel wasn't supposed to take over their land, so there shouldn't be any worries there. All they're doing is they're stopping real quick before they go over and take the promised land. So the king should have known this, should have known that it's all good, and just made this pact between them or go and talk with them because they weren't supposed to go in there. Moses was told not to do that. And so then we go into verse 4, and we find out what's going on here why he was so worried about it. It says, So Moab said to the elders of Midian, and he wasn't really afraid that they're going to come and attack, but if you read this verse, it says, Now this company will lick up everything around us, as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And so he's really worried about their economy, wasn't he? He's worried about them using up all the resources. And so what ends up happening here is it's just like what happened back with Abraham and Lot, isn't it? Do you guys remember that whole thing? Remember the herdsmen? So they were clashing because they were like, hey, you guys are taking all of our food. No, you're taking all our food. And then Abraham comes along and says, hey, Lot, we both have a lot going on here. Let's go ahead and separate. You choose your land, I'll take whatever's left there. And that's what ended up happening. So we see the same thing going on as they come into the promised land. And he's all worried about it. That was over in Genesis 13, if you guys are taking notes, of where uh, Lot and Abraham had to divide up. Now, you get into verses 5 through 11. 
At this time and in this culture, what would happen is the kings, what they would do is they would set up and they would get a seer, a diviner, or a soothsayer, somebody that could tell the future, if that was true what they were doing, somebody that could communicate with the gods. And what they would do is they would invite them in and they had this fee they had to pay them. They'd invite them in and say, hey, should I go attack this other nation? Or, hey, can you do this to this other nation? Can you curse them for me before I go attack? Just to make sure I win the battle. And it was just a practice back then. That's what would end up happening. We see Israel do it over and over again with God, and they ask Jehovah many times, and sometimes they don't, but they'd ask him, should I go in this? We have many examples in Judges of guys that would, you know, hey, if I do this, are you going to do this, God, and kind of try to figure out where God was lining up. Well, the other nations were doing it as well. So at this time, when he wants to figure out what he's going to do, he calls upon Balaam. Now, Balaam was well-known in that time. He was like the guy to get if you wanted to get a seer or soothsayer. The reason we know this is because there's actually, he's one of the oldest prophets that there actually is archaeology found about him. And where they found it was over in a place called Deir al in Jordan. And what it was is they found all these, like I think it's 119 pieces of plaster written in red and black, which was significant then, I guess. Not an archaeologist, but this is what they said. And it was wrapped around these columns, and it described him, and it talked about, you guys know from the book of Balaam. So there was actually this book that he had written. And as they went through this whole thing, it talks about all these curses that Balaam had that they could read. And so this was like 300 miles away from where they thought Balaam was. So he was pretty well known around that area, and he was the guy to get. So they want to hire him out and get him over there. And then in verse 8, it says, And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, or sorry, back up seven. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you. As the Lord speaks to me, so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent them sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to the prince, princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose, went back to Balak, and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Now back in verse 8 is really interesting, because if you guys know, from the scriptures here, Balaam was not a Jewish prophet. He was a Gentile, right? So there wasn't any ties there. There wasn't going on. But it's interesting in verse 8, because Balaam actually knows who God is. He uses God's name. He doesn't say Elohim, which was a, a basic way of saying God back then, you know, and even in their tongue, in the Hebrew tongue. But what he says is he says Yahweh. If you guys have in your script right there that it's, it's Lord is capitalized, right? I don't know if you knew that about most of your Bibles. If it's capitalized every letter there, that, that means he's using the name of God, Yahweh, there. So he knows who he's talking to, which is very interesting. Because this is a guy that's called on by a bunch of people, deals with other things. So anyways, he talks with God about this issue. Tells him what's going on, and then what ends up happening is that he goes, gets the word from God. God says three things to him, doesn't he? You're not going with these guys. You're not cursing those people, and these people are blessed, right? Look what he says back to those guys, though. Look at how he repeats God's words to him. It says in verse, what is it, 13? 
So Balaam arose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for God has refused to give me permission to go with you. He didn't say anything about you're not, <laughs> they're not even going to, God's not going to work out what you guys are wanting to work out here. He just says, I'm sorry, I can't go with you guys, God said. And he leaves it at that. And watch this, because this is how Balaam's going to react all the time. This is where he starts, you start seeing this flaw going on with him. And there's something else going on there in Balaam's life. Something else he's trying to do there. It's a, it's a thing that when we look at the scripture, it's like, wow, if God speaks to us, we better do everything he's saying, not just choose which thing sounds better to do or better to turn, pass on to somebody else. It's, it's the word of God in its entirety, isn't it? Not just in a little bit out of context here. I mean, we know that Satan did that in the garden, didn't he? Gave a little bit of the truth here when what God actually said mixed in something that God did not say to trip up Eve. So he doesn't give him the whole message. He leaves the door open with him is basically what he's doing. Because you have to understand, this is, this is a big deal. He has princes coming to him. He has a king begging for him to come. There's a lot of money involved in this. Why would you want to just close off that? That'd be a bad business move, wouldn't it? So he leaves it there. Now, continue on in verse 15. And Balak again sent princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For I will certainly honor you greatly, and will, I will do whatever you say. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. And Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, God already said that I couldn't curse the people. He didn't say that, did he? But he knows that. He says, though Balak were giving, were giving me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of my Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Uh, this is one of those things, that it's, it's one of those kids that doesn't know what no means. You know, like the parents kind of train them that when I say no, it really doesn't mean no until I say it the fifth time, then I'm, then I'm serious. <laughs> then consequences are going to come, right? Rather than just being straight up, no, this is the way it's going to go, this is how we're going to do it, and this is the way it's going to be. Well, right here, it's, like, it's as if he's been dealing with other gods that have been made up or whatever. He keeps pushing the issue. God already said no. But he says, hey, why don't you guys go ahead and stay here? Let's see if God changes his mind. So go ahead and stay the night. I'll go ask him again. We'll see if it really was no. <laughs> and we'll see in the morning. So in verse uh, 19 again, Therefore he pleases you also to stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And then verse 20, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, this is very important. Listen to every word here. If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Did he do something wrong there? This is what I'm saying where he starts, you look at the word of God and he starts changing it a little bit here. Now there's a lot of people that don't understand, well, why, why later on in the story does he, he's going to kill him? Because I thought it looked like he's, he was allowing him to go. But if you read the scripture there, it says, if those guys come and call on you, then you'll rise and you'll go with them. And it says right after that, well, he rose up in the morning, he saddled his donkey and he went with the princes. There wasn't any dialect, there wasn't anything that happened there, discussion about them asking him to come with them. And also, it's not what he says. So a lot of people interpret the scripture and they'll say, in that last part where God says, and only the word which I speak to you, that you shall, and they'll put speak in there or say and that way it lines up with later on what he's supposed to say to the people. But it says do right there. It's an action he's talking about. So he just told them, this is what you need to hear from these guys in the morning. That's me saying go ahead and go. Well, he didn't. 
So he goes ahead and he disobeys and he goes on. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled the donkey and went on with the princes of Moab. And then right away in verse 22, God's, then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. A bad place that he put himself, right? He ended up disobeying what he wanted, and that's why God's anger was aroused. Now, if you look at that and say, well, he, he was supposed to just go and speak these things, and the way that some people interpret that is like, oh, I thought God said it was okay to go because he said when they, if, you know, they rise up in the morning. But if you're looking at it and you're seeing what's said there, and you, t- you translate it that way, then 22 is really hard to take because it's like, wait, God all of a sudden changed his mind? Like, that doesn't seem fair. He says he can go, and now God's angry at him for going? But that's not what ended up happening there. So we look at that, and we see that Balaam, his drive was something else that was behind the scenes, wasn't there? And that's why we have this, this selfish drive that we see in his life. And we know from Jude 11, clear over in the New Testament, right before Revelation, he gives a little expert, and he talks about how Balaam is a greedy man. He says, don't be like him, and he gives some examples, and don't be like this. And he calls Balaam a greedy man. And also over in 2 Peter 2.15, it says that he, he, his pride was there, that he loved the wages of unrighteousness. It says that about Balaam. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. And so we see that there's this drive that's behind him of keep pushing because if you guys put yourself in that place, here's all these princes, right? So this is like, we'll put it in kind of today's thing. Trump needs to know something from you guys, all right? So all of a sudden, there's the limo that shows up outside. You got a bunch of high up people that you would never meet in your life unless you're part of that, you know, the politics there. They all show up to help you out. So you got the governor from Colorado, you know, you got a bunch of high ups out there, whoever you want to say, from the White House that have all come here now because Trump needs to know something from you guys because he knows you guys have a word from God. Well, you got all this prestige and you're just like, (laughs) I mean, even if I don't have to say anything, this is pretty cool. I get a ride with them and I get to go meet the president and go talk with the president. You see, it's kind of the same thing that's going on there. It's a lot of people. Not only that, but you come and tell me what I want to hear, and you don't have to worry about paying your taxes anymore. Right? (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like, you guys see the motive there? It's not just he was like, oh, good, I want to go sin against God. There was a lot behind that. There was a lot for him on this earth. There was a lot that he could grab a hold at in the immediate, rather than looking at what was going to happen in the future. Little did he know he was going to have to have this wiser prophet come and step in and save him. And you'll see that in just a little bit. It's pretty funny. I think it gets pretty comical after here. I love the story. So this next part in verses 22 through the end of the chapter, we get to see that a better prophet enters in, a better seer comes along and basically shows Balaam, this is what a real prophet looks like. Now, I don't know what the donkey's name was, But this is that better prophet that has to come in there and speak because the thing is, Balaam has no idea. So it's basically one donkey speaking to another donkey is what we end up seeing through this scripture. I think it's awesome. That's why I think it's comical because just this scripture, when you go through it, you're like, what? Yeah, we'll we'll do it a little bit here. But let's read 22 through 30. Then God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey. And his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. 
So you can imagine this. This is not like the donkey stopped there. What's going on is that there's this road. They're going along, and the donkey's like, oh, no. And he goes way out, or she does, goes out in the field and is like going around this thing, and Balaam's got to be embarrassed, right? Because here's all these prestige people that he's with, and he can't even control his own donkey, but he's supposed to be going and telling this great word to this king. But he can't control this, this little animal. So taking off, right around the corner, you know, and he's all beating this thing. What are you doing, you stupid donkey? <laughs> Gets back on the path, okay? And then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow pathway between the vineyard, in verse 24, with a wall on its side and a wall on that side. And you guys have probably seen pictures. There's some really cool paintings and stuff like that. You see these two rock walls that are guarding uh, the vineyards on each side, and the people could walk between it. So when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Now this isn't just a, you know, I'm going to push against the wall. It's like the donkey's trying to get around that angel. Okay, because we know this because the next verse talks about the angel went further down. So it's this process of this donkey keeps going around this angel to get away from this death. Well, now he just drags his foot along that side. And you guys imagine this. I mean, you guys that love horses in here, sorry, I don't. Because every time I get on a horse, that's what they do to me. They try to rip me off on some tree, <laughs> drag my leg across something. I don't know. I just, I, I'd rather just stick with a truck. Usually it does what I say. So he's going along this thing, and it just basically tearing his leg up on this rock wall. Well, a stupid donkey, right? <laughs> You're like, what are you doing? So again, he beats that poor donkey that just saved his life. Then... In verse 27, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, okay, sorry, 26, then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? That's one of those freak-out moments, isn't it? I mean, I know you guys would love your dogs to talk to you, and sometimes you talk for them, right? You know, you have a conversation. I know you guys do. Anybody has seen Frozen, Spin, you know, the reindeer, he has a little talk with them. It's a great thing. We, we like it. It's, it's fun to think that our animals, you know, and we can make some goofy things. But really, this donkey just started talking. And you think that you'd be freaked out about something like that, Right? Watch what happens with Balaam. <laughs> this is where it just gets so, it's, it's so funny. Verse 29, And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. Kill a talking donkey? <laughs> what is this guy thinking? I mean, he's worried about money going over there. He can make some sweet cash off of this. <laughs> Come and see my donkey that talks. He's not even surprised he starts arguing with the donkey. That's why it's just so, it blows my mind. Because he, he starts talking to him and saying, it's because you're doing this to me. You're being a bad donkey, so I'm going to kill you if I could right now. And one of those great scriptures that I love seeing in the, in, in the Bible, and if you just had this, you didn't have any context, and, and you just read 30, it's such a funny verse. So the donkey said, right? You're like, what book am I reading? So the donkey said... <laughs> To Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to you to, to do this to you? And he said, no. So they have that conversation. That's going to be the end of the conversation with the donkey. 
And it is so funny that it ends up doing this and having this whole thing. But that's why I say that there's this wiser prophet that comes along, or this wiser seer that comes along, to show him, look, death is awaiting you. And it goes on, and right after that we'll get into it, but it says he opened Balaam's eyes and he could see this, this angel that's waiting there. He falls on his face, you know, scared to death. And he sees what this, <laughs> this donkey's been doing for him. But the donkey, God uses the donkey to deliver a message to this prophet that's disobeying God, this greedy prophet. I think it's awesome because God shows that, you know what, it's all about his word and he can use whatever donkey is out there, right? He can use it to get across. He can use it to bring his will. And so it ends up, this whole thing that goes on, you think this guy would be like, okay, God's serious. And he does start understanding right after this. And you start seeing that Balaam's kind of getting, okay, this is not one of those other ones that I've worked with. This is the real. I mean, what's gone on here, this is real. So we go on and we look at verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? I was standing here the whole time. (laughs) Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. Perverse meaning that it is distorted. It's something that's not what God wants. He's using it. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, guess what? Surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. Remember, it's not do, like we saw before. That you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now these princes, I don't even know where they're at at this point. I don't know if they took off running because this donkey or if they could even hear it. Who knows what's going on, but they're watching this whole thing go on with this prophet. (laughs) Really? This was the best one out there? Can't control his donkey, scream and yell, and actually have a conversation with his donkey. Now he's talking to himself if they couldn't see the angel, right? All right, he must be a seer because he's a little off key. But you look at what's going on in this whole thing, and I think there's such a neat application that comes to our lives because there's times where we choose to ignore what God's doing and where he's leading us. And what the angel says there is that the donkey could see it, could see this destruction, knew you were on the wrong path, and God used a beast of burden to keep you from dying. Even though you are perverse in your way and you wanted to keep going, you wanted to do it your own way, and you're trying to push through this while God's trying to save you. That mercy poured out. Because the thing is, the angel did not have to stay still on that road, did he? Could easily stepped aside and killed the donkey and the guy, or just the guy, right? You see God's mercy in that? Isn't that so cool? So sometimes we find ourselves on that road to destruction. That road that God has not called us to. He, you know, we got off key, we started going off somewhere, and there's these things that keep coming up in our lives that are trying to pull us back to where we're supposed to be with the Lord. Because there's pending destruction that's coming to our life. And instead of looking at what's getting in our way, we start beating whatever it is and <laughs> grumbling about it. It's so funny, sometimes when I come off the mountain, I'm like, Lord, you know, you pray before you go on the road trip. Lord, just give me a safe trip back down the mountain. And then he puts somebody slow in front of you. And then you're like, these people. Don't, Texas plates. Sorry, guys. 
Never been on a curve before because it's all just gridded out there. Sorry about that. <laughs> but you're like, what in the world do they think they're doing in front of me? They don't know that I'm trying to get back in a rush. And so many times the Lord's like, you just asked me to keep you safe. What do you think I'm doing? <laughs> they got to put somebody slow there so it all slow down a little bit, right? So many times in our lives where we're just grumbling, like we want God to do some awesome thing in front of us. We choose to go our own way. He starts trying to deter us from that, and we end up cursing whatever he's trying to put in our way. And it's one of those times we need to stop as we go through scriptures like this. Okay, Lord, what is it in my life that I'm doing that I'm not supposed to be doing right now that you keep trying to warn me? Because something bad's coming up. You know, something that I'm going to lead myself into is not going to be good. So, Lord, can you please make me aware? Have a donkey speak to me, my cat, or whatever needs to happen, so I know something is coming and I'm not on the path I'm supposed to be with you. It should be a wake-up call. And if a donkey talking to you isn't a wake-up call, there's some big problems going on. With Balaam, there was big problems going on because he didn't take it very serious. He did for this moment... Because when he goes to Balak, we'll read him just a little bit, he is very serious, and he gives exactly what God tells him to give. But then later on in his life, we see a horrible thing that he does, and he end up dying, ends up dying from it. So let's continue on and read the rest of this chapter here. So in verse 36, Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab. Great honor, isn't it? That's like you don't just show up to the White House and you got to go find Trump in his room and, and do that. Like he's actually coming out to you. This king is coming out to greet you. Shows you're really important. Which is on the border of Aaron, uh, Aaron on uh, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? So you see the pride of Balak here like... I'm a king, I have all this wealth, you seriously didn't come to me the first time I asked you to come. Would you think I wasn't going to uphold my side of the deal? Which he doesn't later on. So he's asking him, and his pride was a little bit hurt, you know? Why wouldn't this guy come to a king? And then verse 38, it says, And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you now. And I, it's exclamation points. So he's, <laughs> I'm here now, okay? Now have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath, uh, I'll try these words, Huzoth. When Balak offered oxen and sheep, and, and he sent some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. And so it was in verse uh, 41, the next day, that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. So you get into this process, now he's there, he's with the, this king, but he says, look, guy, I'm only going to tell you what God tells me to do, because you, you should have seen my experience that I just had. I'm not messing around anymore. He's very serious, because he sees that he was wrong in the path that he was going, and he could have died from it, so he's very serious, like, I'm only going to speak what God says to speak. It's been a very real experience. Chapter 23. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak, Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each of the altars. So 14 different sacrifices. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand by your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to the desolate heights. And God met Balaam and said, uh, he said to him, 
I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And then he took up this oracle, and he said, so this is the message he's going to deliver to him. This is going to be the first of three. And I think it's so funny. Watch as this goes on, because Balak's like the first church hopper. He didn't hear what he thought he needed to hear or agree with what he was hearing, so he went to the next church to find out if somebody could agree with him there. Right? <laughs> He goes to these different, these different mountaintops. I mean, you can kind of look at it that way. <laughs> so Balak, this is, the, this is what he says to him. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought, from, brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see and from the hills I behold him there, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number, number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of righteousness and let my end be like, the, like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, must I not, may, must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? See, back in this day, I mean, if you made up your own God, of course your own God's going to tell you what you want to hear right? There's always going to be that. There's not going to be much conflict there because you made him up, so hopefully you did a good job of that, <laughs> and he's going to agree with you. And that's what ended up happening. Okay, now on the other side, you have the seer show up to the job, shows up at his, you know, his work. Okay, I'm ready to get paid. What do I got to say to you? <laughs> I mean, this is all make-believe anyways, right? These idols that they'd make up. So it's like, yeah, I'll tell you what you want. You, you know, here's my price. So he shows up there, but Balaam's been showing a little bit different. He's not going to mess around with Jehovah. And he said it, and it's so funny to me because Balak's like, what'd you just do? I called you all the way over here. I'm going to give you all this money. I'll give you all this honor. And instead of cursing them, you're blessing them? Is this your first time? <laughs> Are you a green prophet? <laughs> you know, wondering what's going on here. It just gets funnier because each time, of course, God's not going to curse his people. So verse 13 and Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from here. And so he brought him to the field of Zophim, uh, the top of the uh, Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered bulls and rams on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And then the Lord met Balaam, and he put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was, standing by the burnt offering. And the princes of Moab were with him, and Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? So you can see he went to a different area. So the first one was they could see all of Israel. They went up on that height, right? A place where they used to worship Baal, or Baal, however you want to pronounce that God's name. And he goes and looks over it, and he's like, basically it was to show Balaam, like, Look, isn't this crazy? There's like two million people out there. You know, you've heard what's gone on with these people. Well, now he takes them and he's like around the corner, right? You can like peek around this corner at them. Like, see, like they're getting close. We need to do something about this problem. So that's why he keeps taking them to these different places or church hopping, trying to get the right answer. In verse 18, then he took up his oracle and said, rise up, Balak, and hear, listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent, has he said and will he do, not do? Or has he spoken and he will not make good? Isn't that right with God? It's exactly how he is. 
Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. And remember these parts right here that he's being told, okay? Because this is going to come back into Balaam's life later on. This is what God's given me, saying, this is why I'm not going against Israel, is because he's not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness. And lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not die down, lie down, sorry, until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. There is a great encouragement for Balak, right? <laughs> so here, curse these people, and then he starts talking about how they're a lion that they're going to devour their prey and lick up, lick up the blood. It's like, no, that's supposed to be us. That's the Moabites. You're, you're reading it all wrong. Twenty-five. Then Balak says to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. Basically, he's telling him, just be quiet. What are you doing? So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying, All that the Lord speaks, that I must do? He can't say anything other than what God has said. And so it goes through a little bit more talking back and forth. And what ends up happening is that Balak, in verse 28, I'm skipping a verse there, takes Balaam to the top of Peor, which is another place they used to worship at, okay? Takes him to this other place. And what I mean by church hopping, I'm not getting against you guys that are looking for a church to settle down in, okay? I'm talking about the ones that try to go from here to there to try to look for who's going to agree with them. Sometimes, you know, it's just the Word of God just straightforward every time you go. It's going to be the consistent same if it's a church after God's heart. So it's just made it funny to me that he was just, that's what he's doing. He's going to these different places trying to get a different answer from God. Jump down to verse 1 in chapter 24. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery but it set his face toward the wilderness. Balaam's actually getting it now. Because when he says he uses his oracle, he's using all these different devices, these things that he's used in other times to try to show, you know, oh, here, we're going to be spiritual at this moment. We're going to end up going this way with this. And so at this last time, it's very interesting that he doesn't do that. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Um, The other thing that they used to do, too, is they would really get active with their flesh. And I I mean by, I think a great example is with Elijah. Remember the the God, or the priests of uh, Baal, when they were out there cutting themselves, trying to get Baal to come bring fire down onto the altar? You guys remember that whole story? And during that whole time, they're doing all this stuff, and, and Elijah's over there mocking them, saying, hey, you know, he's probably disposed at the moment. Maybe you should yell louder. And it goes on this whole process there. Well, the thing is, is back at this time, is if you weren't getting an answer, it was like you had to act out even more. And it was like you had to get this flesh involved. And it's, and it's sad because you even see that sometimes in the church where people believe that you, to invoke the Holy Spirit, you have to use the flesh to get there. So... We need to speak this certain way, so here's how you've got to start it out, and then the, the Spirit will catch up with you, right? It's, it's not biblical at all. That's not how God works. And we see that right here because we see Balaam changing. You know, those first two times, he was really getting into it. He was doing what usually you would do back at this time, looking like a clown to try to get this God to wake up so he would answer your question or, or go curse who you wanted to curse. So that's why he's leaving it all behind because he sees he doesn't need that with Jehovah. 
or with Yahweh. That's not how it works with him. God's word is, is sufficient. does not need man doing any of this. And he should have gotten that example from the donkey too, that if he's going to use a donkey to speak his word, well, that's just, it's, it's sufficient. He'll be able to do it. So the last utterance he gives in, in verse 3, I'm sorry, he actually has four. I forgot. But this is the third one. Then he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out. You've got to think that Balak's just shaking his head right now. <laughs> what are you doing? Like the valleys that stretch out, like gardens of the riverside, like uh, Ale, uh, aloes uh, planted by the Lord, like cedars besides the water. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. This king shall be higher than Agog, and his kingdom shall be exalted. This is an awesome part. We won't go too much into it, but just a messianic prophecy that's going on. God brings him out of Egypt. He is strength like a wild ox. He says that again. He shall consume the nations with his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and, and as a lion he shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. And we've already heard that before in the scriptures about Israel. So then Balak's answer, or anger, sorry, was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. Has he done that to you? Is that what you'd like to say sometimes? God, why, why is this happening to me? Why am I losing everything in my life right now? One of the things we've been going through in the youth group is where we find our identity. Is it in sports? Is it in your work? Is it with your friends? Guess what? All those things, something can happen, right? A person that's known as being a very, very, very good football player, guess what happens when they shatter their leg? Their identity's gone. Because they're no longer that awesome, unbelievable football player. It's gone. And just looking at that, it's like, where is that? Where is it concluded in? And, and it, do you feel like that God's taken all your stuff that you'd ever built up for yourself away from you? I think it's awesome what ended up happening is that Balaam, and I wish there were a story would end here with him, and then that would have been a great ending to what Balaam had happened, that he had an encounter with God, he had an awesome experience with, with what happened on the road, this salvation that occurred there from his impending doom. Then he goes on to speak God's word, because that's all he can speak, because he has the fear of the Lord in him, and then you're done with it. And he walks away saying, you know what, that was a great blessing out of that. Maybe I didn't get those riches I went after, but this was good. However... Balaam can't just rest there. I think that that eats at him, that God's the one that took him, kept him back from honor in verse 11. Because later on, Balaam goes to find his own honor. And it's a disgusting thing he ends up doing. We'll get there. So Balaam said in verse 12, said to Balak, did I not also speak to your messengers from whom you sent me, saying, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will? And the Lord says that I must speak, and now indeed I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the later days. So he actually gives him a freebie. 
He's only supposed to do the three, and he's going to go end up going into a fourth prophecy and speaking to him. And it's, it's this boldness that ends up happening. There's a, a pretty neat thing that ends up going on. But I think when a guy is touched by God and by his word, how could you not speak it? How could you just hold it back, right? And that even goes for our own lives. It's such a neat experience when you guys have just been blessed by God. You guys have had an awesome experience with him. How could you hold that back from telling other people? It's an exciting thing to give a testimony of what's going on and to give that word that God's given you, right? What a neat thing. And so that's what ended up happening with Balaam. So he took up his oracle and he says to him, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. What a cool place to be. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And this goes on to a Messianic prophecy. You guys know he's talking about Jesus Christ here. And better the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of the Tolman. Now, this verse 17 is the verse that they actually think that the wise men used to find, or I'm sorry, that the shepherds used to find Jesus because of the star. This is one of the only scriptures that talks about that star being in conjunction with Jesus coming there. And so that's one of the main verses they think that they got it from, and that's why they went after that star when they're out there in the field. In verse 18, it says, And Edom shall be a possession. Sarah shall also his uh, enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does uh, valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but he shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites and took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set on the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. Uh, How long until Asher carries you away captive. Asher is actually talking about the God there. Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber, and shall also uh, Amalek until he perishes. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his own way. So he actually gives a little bit more here. He talks about all these things are going to be destroyed and they're actually wiped out. When we don't see these people groups anymore, God was serious about this. That is one of the things. And it wasn't that God just went in there mercilessly because these people were obeying him and worshiping him and he just decided to wipe them out because he wanted to give land to them. These people were evil and the things that they were doing and they caused Israel to sin. And there's a bunch of story you guys can, I'm sure you're going to read about it. Um, we're going to know a little bit more about it as we go through um, just the scriptures, we study it verse by verse, getting to see what ended up happening. So Israel's in a good spot right now. They're getting blessed. There's this king that wants to take them over, but instead what's going on is that this complete blessing is coming out on them. And it's so cool to see what God's doing there. They have no idea this is going on. They have no idea that there's this, you know, maybe they saw the smoke up on the hillside and wondering what's going on up there, but they have no idea that there's this curse trying to be put on these people, but God's not allowing it. And it's so neat to be walking with God. We're going to see a turn of events, and we're not going to go too far into chapter 25, just the first part of it, but to see that they're in good standing with God and where he says, and he, he proclaims it through them and says, you know, that I don't see his iniquity. Back in chapter 23, verse 21, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. And the Lord is his God and is with him. But we know what ends up happening after that story. And let's look at it real quick over here in chapter 25, verse 1. Now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. 
And he invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to all the power, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. They just fell out of it right there. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And it goes on and talks about this whole cleansing that needs to take place. Um, and Phineas comes in there and he destroys, he ends up pinning these people to the ground. Um, and God finally stops the plagues. It's a crazy amount of people. I can't. I was going to write it down. I think it's 24,000. Yep. Verse 9. And those who died in the plague were 24,000 people. It's a lot of people that go down all of a sudden. Now, this whole thing that we read here, and it doesn't say it here in Numbers. Do you guys know that Balaam was behind all of it? Balaam was the one that did that. He's the one. He had this testimony from God of this is what it is to be with the people, that this is so awesome to see where they're at with him. And right there, he knows how to get to him. He still wants that honor that was taken away from him, that the Lord took away from him. And you guys will go over to, it's Revelation 2.14, because you're wondering where in the world did you get that word that he <laughs> is the one that sold them out. And it's actually two different scriptures. In Revelation 2.14, we'll look at that one first. And then also over in, uh, what is it? Numbers 31, we'll go back over there. And that's where it talks about it. All right. Revelation 2.14 is talking about the loveless church. Or sorry, not the loveless one. It's talking about the compromising church. Uh, Pergamos. So in verse 14 of chapter 2, it says, But I have a few things against you, because you have uh, there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now it's a whole doctrine. <laughs> so the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. That's what ended up happening with Balaam. And then over in Numbers 31, verse 8, Oh, wait, I skipped it too far. 16, sorry, 31.16. 31.16 says, Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident at Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. So right there it's showing us that Balaam's the one that ended up counseling them. He went and told the king, Here, if you guys want this guy, them to fall, I can't curse them. God won't let me curse them. We already tried to go that route, so I'm going to show you a different way, a back door in there. Go stumble them. Go and stumble them. And that's why in the Scriptures it says in 2 Peter 2.15, in Jude and Revelation, and then Joshua talks about it. But it's going through and talking about how evil this guy was. And it looks like, wow, he gave a great message, didn't he? He didn't curse him like he should have or like he, would, he could have done and, and said to the Lord, you know, I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to go ahead and say my own words so I get this honor and I get this money. But he ends up saying, no, I know a back door you can get in there. And he becomes known through all, even the New Testament, as this doctrine, this selfish doctrine that he held on to, this, this cling that he wanted to have to unrighteousness. And I think the biggest thing that we can end up taking from this and this whole story is watching what road we're going down and what God's warning us in. But not only that, what little things are we trying to get away with? 
How much are we trying to look like it's all good on the outside? We're doing the religious things. We're doing what's supposed to be doing. We're reading God's word. We're telling God's word. But then there's these little things going on on the side. And that goes across the board. That can happen with even in our marriages. You know, I don't want to tell my wife everything. She doesn't need to know everything. I'm going to tell her just a little bit here. My husband doesn't need to know it all. You know, like, we want to keep peace here. Like, why would, it hurt her more if she knew, right? And that's one of those things that even in the marriage, it's one of those deals that, yes, we do have to be open. Why not give it all up? If Balaam would have just given everything over to him, it would have been such an awesome outcome, right? For Israel and for him. And later on in, in uh, that verse I was trying to go to before, Numbers 31, it talks about how when Israel comes in there to take out Mo- the Moabites because of what they'd done to them, it talks about Balaam being one of the ones that they definitely were after to kill. And so God had that justice take place on Balaam's life. It would have set ending to what could have been such an awesome experience and a transformation in his life. But he chose rather after those riches, after those benefits that he might get. And so even when we look at the workplace, what little things are you guys holding back? What little truths are being held back? Well, it doesn't really matter if I do it this way, and they don't really know that I'm doing it this way because it's, you know, what does it matter? I mean, it goes to the wayside anyways. You know, there's so many different things that we go through in life, like why wouldn't I just try this little bit? Do I really need to explain that to them? You know, I know being a tile guy before, it was like, I wanted to make sure my measurements were very close because I'm charging the customer for that measurement. But then I also have these other guys that are selling the product, and guess what they're doing? You need a little bit more because we have like this weight, you know, and, and it ends up being this massive amount of waste that goes, and then you're stuck with all this product out there, but you just charge the customer for the square footage of putting all that down. And even in that workplace, it's like, where do we go? My boss put me in a weird predicament once, I'm just learning how to do it. He goes and he takes, we had seven boxes of laminate floor left over on this job. And it was, that's a lot, okay? That's a lot left over. <laughs> Usually one or two boxes, okay. He tells me, go throw that in the back of the truck real quick. I'm going to print this. I don't know what's going on. So I go throw it out there. And then I start thinking about, what did I, where's this going? Like, are we going to tell the customer? What well, ends up that the customer comes over and asks, she's like, well, it looks great, it looks great. Um, did you have any boxes left over? He's like, oh, we just had that one right there that's half open. And I was like, oh, dang, what do I do? <laughs> I'm getting put in this whole thing with this guy and where he's going to end up going with this route. Um, unfortunately, I kept my mouth shut because I was terrified I was going to lose my job, brand new kid, all these scenarios that my trust wasn't in the Lord. It was, uh, I had this good job going for me. Why would I say anything? I'm going to lose it. He'll lose his standing, you know, and I just met this guy, all this stuff. But anyways, it ended up that she tells us, she's like, well, I, I, that's a bummer because I ordered more because I'm going to do an add-on later on and I was going to use it for that room and I wanted it all to match. And he's just sitting there, cold face. No, no, we, we didn't have anything extra. To add insult to injury, <laughs> it's just, oh man, it's one of those things. Shelly and I moved into the garage out back of his house that had a little apartment, and guess what I got to put in the floor? <laughs> Evil. And then I'm looking at that floor every time, and I'm like, such a loser. <laughs> I should have listened to the donkey. <laughs> it's a sad place, but I guarantee you guys, and now that I've learned being, you know, walking with the Lord longer, we can absolutely, absolutely trust in God, guys. Even though the situation looks so much better to go a different route, 
It might in the world's eyes. And you guys might have a little bit more success here on this earth going that route. But guys, eternity is a lot longer than this earth, isn't it? That's a better focus. That's why God was always telling us, look at that. So choose God. Choose his way. Choose every single word that he gives you. Don't put it off as it's a context for that back in that old time with the desert people. It's for us. It's living. It's powerful. It's ready for us today. I think that's the biggest thing we can pull from this. Don't be a Balaam. Don't be a donkey, right? And I know you cowboys will say something else, but we're going to keep it a donkey for today. Okay? Don't be that way. Follow after him in every word that he has to say. We're going to go ahead and have some guys come up. We have prayer this morning. Justin, if you want to go ahead and come up. Um, we're going to have two songs, but you guys, anything that you guys need to get off your chest or you need to be praying for somebody else or something's going on in your life, we're going to have some people up here and just